Now hear the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark. Jesus went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you may have noticed we have a special guest with us here today, special guests. Um, Jace and Mary Beth are here and joining us, and I'm pleased to welcome Jace to come and open the word to us. Let me pray for you. Oh, good and gracious God, we thank you that you have brought Jace and Mary Beth here with us today. We thank you for the mission that you have given them, for the heart, for your gospel that is within them. Lord, open Jace's mouth to proclaim your truth. Open our ears to hear what you have to say to us. May we know today that your word has been among us. Amen. Amen. Good afternoon. It's hard to believe it's been uh, six and a half years since Mary Beth and I moved to the Middle East and since retiring from the Air Force here out of San Antonio, uh, Holy Trinity was our last church in the United States and a place of fond memories still. So it's a, a great treat to be able to come back here and thank you, Rob, for surrendering the pulpit as well. I know that's not a simple thing for a director to do. Um, and of course, you are all invited to join Mary Beth and I for a more intimate discussion about our ministry work uh, in the Middle East and some food after the service. Uh, but I want to focus uh, a little more on the scriptures uh, here today. Although I did begin uh, by kind of listing some things that are, at least I thought, unique uh, about where we call home now. Um, and I thought I'd share some of those. Uh, we have neighborhoods that are controlled by armed militia groups that are not under the control of the government. There are large-scale ongoing protests that uh, frequently devolve into violence. Whole city blocks uh, look like war zones. There's graffiti uh, from extremist groups on some of the buildings. A lot of it uh, disparaging to Christians, uh, former President Trump and those that support him. The federal government sometimes announces new national holidays with uh, impunity, just on a moment's notice. 
there's wear of facial coverings and other things uh, that are enforced through social pressure. And it's difficult, uh, if not dangerous at times, to move around some areas due to roadblocks and checkpoints held by militias and other extremist groups. As I look back through this list, kind of reviewing it, I thought, well, maybe it's not that unique, that folks may just as well conclude that we live in Portland, uh, Oregon, but uh, no, we live in northern Iraq, but uh, we seem to have a lot more in common with the U.S. as each year goes by. Um, but no matter where you're from, um, I think you can agree that uh, there are hard places and there are hard people in the world. And the scripture readings from this morning, I would say, are not the go-to passages uh, to use for recruiting people to the mission field, uh, but they are an accurate representation, uh, if not a prophetic outlook, of, any, of what anyone will face when they're seeking to share the gospel or to share the truth of who God is. We see an Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel, God's chosen apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, and Jesus, God incarnate himself, all face the same struggles with their intended audience, uh, indeed people that they loved. So we shouldn't be surprised that when in this world we encounter troubles when trying to share the gospel. And I, I want to interlude here, especially since we're broadcasting this, and I don't always know exactly who we're speaking to on the other end, but when I say the gospel, I just want to take 30 seconds to define that so we're kind of all on the same page. And by the gospel message, I mean that the Lord created everything. He is righteous and holy. He owns us. But instead of honoring him, each of us has rebelled. We followed our own sinful desires. We are deserving of eternal condemnation. But God is also loving and merciful. And so he came to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ to live the perfect life that we could not and pay the penalty for sin that each of us owes. He sacrificed himself on the cross, but then rose again from the dead, overcoming sin and death, so that all who repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus are forgiven and granted eternal life, so that through the power of the Spirit, you are enabled to become holy and obedient like Jesus. So this is a message of great hope in the end, but for many, it is difficult to get past the less than, flattering, less than flattering fact uh, that we are rightly condemned uh, in God's eyes. So it is offensive and bound to cause trouble. However, none of us uh, likely needs to think too long or too hard about a time when perhaps we were the source of heartache uh, for some devoted follower of Jesus who was trying to share with us to open our eyes to our dire need for the Savior. But the passages that we read this morning, these are not all gloom and doom. I think there is a marvelous synchronicity through them um, that highlights three things. First, yes, there are briars, to borrow the terminology from Ezekiel, but also it defines boundaries for us and a benefit that follows from our obedience. So boundaries, briars, and benefit. The boundaries being uh, God's instructions initially, but uh, what follows from that then is our responsibility. The briars are the bad landscape, the difficult situations that we'll encounter as
as God warns us and from the practical experience of others that have gone before us. But we also see that if we stay within those boundaries, if we brave those briars, there is a definite benefit and purpose to it all. So let's look at each of these passages in turn. Beginning with Ezekiel, what are the boundaries that the Lord establishes? First he tells him, I am sending you. So essentially this is go. And when God sends you, when he tells you to go, this is not an optional thing. Um, but the Lord also tells Ezekiel, do not be afraid. It's three times in this passage that we've, met, that we've read, it mentions this, don't be afraid. So clearly, the thing that Ezekiel is being commissioned for is not an easy tax, task. And then finally, I think the crux of what God's direction is, is speak my words to them. So Ezekiel is to go to the people, to control his fear, which I imagine would tell him it's better to stay quiet, right, and not be controversial. And most importantly, to deliver God's message. Go, be courageous, engage with those around you. But where is it that Ezekiel is being sent? The passage says it's a place where there are briars and thorns all around, and he will be living, uh, sitting on, in this translation, sitting on scorpions, I understand this to be a figurative representation of the cultural environment, but I think as a Texas congregation, uh, we can wholly understand what the Lord is saying. Uh, when Mary Beth and I lived in San Antonio, uh, we went to Big Bend National Park a couple of times uh, to go backpacking there. And it is a beautiful but hostile place. Everything has thorns or teeth or stingers, and it seems like it's out to get you. Uh, even the rocks are sharp and difficult to rock, walk on. Uh, a person always has to maintain some high level of situational awareness uh, to stay out of trouble there. So I think it's that kind of social setting that Ezekiel is being called to, to speak to the obstinate and stubborn a rebellious nation in revolt against God because they are a rebellious people. This is not a friendly crowd. But who are these rebels, right? these enemies of God? It's the Israelites, right? uh, God's chosen people and Ezekiel's own kinsmen. Uh, I think we could say it's a hometown audience that he's going to even though at this particular time, these Israelites are in captivity in Babylon, uh, which, by the way, is now modern-day Iraq. One would think that those circumstances would kind of soften the hearts of people in captivity, would make them more contrite, but it seems that this is not the case. This is going to be a long, uphill struggle for Ezekiel. But to what end? is Ezekiel sent to speak God's words? What is the benefit that's to come out of this? Two times, the Lord instructs him to carry out these instructions, whether they listen or fail to listen. So Ezekiel is not responsible for how God's word is received, nor for the subsequent decision or actions of the Israelites. So if, Israel, if Ezekiel is not responsible for their heart change, or lack thereof, he must not have the authority to affect it either. 
think this is a basic tenet of, of leadership, that responsibility and authority must always remain coupled together. Right? It's a recipe for failure to be responsible for something over which you have no authority. And conversely, it's negligence to give someone authority for something for which they are not also responsible for the outcome. Ezekiel's task is to speak my words to them. Speak my words to them. To deliver God's message so that the Israelites will know that a prophet has been among them. Now, this may seem overly simplistic, but think of the consequences to the Israelites. Through Ezekiel's obedience, his audience will know that they have heard from God. They may or may not accept that message, but now they are without excuse for their disobedience. The Lord is mercifully providing an escape for them, showing the Israelites a way back from their rebelliousness. But at the same time, he is not forcing them to be obedient. This is a, a neat image of the intersection of evangelism and the sovereignty of God, which always brings up the question, do we choose God or does God choose us? I think the answer is yes. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, uh, he also speaks of briars to a certain degree, but things that we face on the inside, eternal, internal, excuse me, internal weaknesses, maybe eternal as well, but internal weaknesses that force us to rely on God. Now, the boundaries God has already set for Paul are, are known from, to us from what is written in Acts chapter 9. Right? When God said of Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings and the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Again, this is not an enticing advertisement uh, to draw people into missions work, uh, but that's the point, right? It's not about me. It's not about you or my comfort or my honor. Yet man's natural tendency is to avoid suffering and problems. Uh, weakness is considered shameful in most cultures. But here's Paul saying he boasts of his weaknesses and even more, he delights in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. His words, I find, are nearly poetic, but it's mind-boggling when you really think of the practical application of this, like the reality of living that way, with that attitude. Moreover, Paul speaks of a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. Paul was a brilliant man, he was highly educated, he was well positioned in Jewish society. Those attributes, I think, can feed a person's pride as well. So God provides a means of balance uh, to help keep ourselves in perspective and in check. We may get something like thorns in the flesh from God to keep us humble. I've always liked that in this passage, we don't know the specifics of what it is that Paul actually struggled with. I think that way each of us can conceptually identify with him across the range of human foibles. Was he grappling with anger issues, with some physical disability, uh, 
cross-cultural language studies as he traveled throughout the region. Um, I mentioned this latter point because I know from experience it has great power to humble a person. Um, I, I retired at the end of 2014, and Mary Beth and I moved to Jordan a couple of weeks later. In the space of a month, I went from being an Air Force colonel commanding thousands of people and managing a billion dollars in budget to being some illiterate foreigner, unable to read a simple street sign. Even worse, I was easy prey for cab drivers there, which are notorious scam artists. I've been ripped off a number of times. I learned that no matter your level of education or your experience in life, if you can't communicate to someone in their heart language, you will be misunderstood, often dismissed, or your message lost. How disheartening is that when you are trying to share the gospel, to communicate the words of life? But thankfully, praise God, again, the outcome, the benefit that comes from these interactions hinges not on my speaking ability, but on God. That marvelous truth, the, the benefit in this passage, I think is beautifully captured in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This marvelously paradoxical statement from the Lord that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When we recognize and moreover embrace our weaknesses, it drives us to rely on the only source of unfailing strength available. Lord. He is faithful to sustain those who put their faith in him. Only then can each of us, like Paul, respond with our own paradoxical conclusion, when I am weak, then I am strong. In the Gospel reading from Mark, we see Jesus working within some of the same boundaries set for him as he goes from northwest Galilee to his hometown in Nazareth and begins to teach there. So in this way, he's like Ezekiel and Paul being sent to preach and teach God's word. And like them, he also encounters a field of briars. The passage says his audience was amazed at what they heard, uh, but not in a good way. Right? They took offense at him because they knew him and his family. Like, how could this Jesus be anything more than what they understood him to be? I think it's from this situation, uh, well, we get another iconic phrase from scripture when Jesus says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Ezekiel has the same experience in his day among his fellow Israelites. But wouldn't you agree that family members are some of the most difficult people to share your faith with, to share the gospel with? because they know <laughs> they know uh, who you are. It can be exhausting and, and disheartening. But again, thankfully, we are simply called to be the messenger and an example. That is our responsibility as we have authority over ourselves to obey. The outcome is in God's hands. So despite the briars, Ezekiel, Paul, and Jesus all continued to preach 
and teach in the face of opposition and interference and indifference. They stayed within the boundaries of their call from God to faithfully fulfill the task set before them. Obedience is honoring to God, but the outcome, of course, is ultimately his responsibility. That is a challenging reality, especially for anyone who is driven to accomplish some assigned mission and to have measurable results. We want to see the numbers. But there's a dichotomy here. Just as the Lord is responsible for the outcome, so too he gets all the glory, the ultimate benefit. We honor him through our obedience, but he is the one that's deserving of the glory for any successful result. So he calls us to speak his words, sustains us with his grace, but ultimately allows us to be some small part of accomplishing his will. So if, for now, we remember and live the reality that God's grace is sufficient, for his power is made perfect in weakness, how great will be our reward, our benefit, when we stand before him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Amen. Amen.